In this episode, I'm gonna talk about why you don't buy property in your own name and why you certainly don't buy property in two people's name. This is a common mistake that so many people make just because they don't know or somebody tells them to put themselves on title or themselves and partner on title. That's quite possibly the worst thing you can do if you're looking at building a property portfolio. If you're looking at buying one house and that's it, well then go for your life. Put yourself on title, put your wife on title, or husband, partner, you know, do whatever, it doesn't really matter. Only that you then run the risk or liability if you're getting sued personally. So that's what most people do. And you know, that's the worst thing you can do, especially when you're trying to build a big property portfolio. So everyone asks, you know, what are the alternatives? If I'm not gonna put myself or myself and partner on title, what are the alternatives, number one? And then the secondly, the other question I get asked all the time is, well, I need, I need the other party, I need my partner to come in and purchase the property with me so that we have enough borrowing power between us. So I'll get to the, the second one, which is the borrowing power side of things. If you need somebody else to be able to borrow the money to be able to purchase the property and you have two people on title i personally think you need to make a decision not to buy that property and to look at your other alternatives so if you're maxing out at purchasing one property as in your borrowing power is maxing out with two people you need to have a look at cheaper properties i believe unless your income is going to go through the roof you either got to look at a cheaper property so one person's income can afford it. And if it can't, look at getting a second job um, and being able to buy a more expensive property only using one person's serviceability. Because literally, if you're putting two people on title, whether that be in a structure or not, and I'll get to that later, if you're putting two people on title, yourself and partner, you're limiting the next property that you can purchase. You're actually both joint and severally liable for that whole loan. So for example, if your loan is a million dollars and you're both on title, you're each liable, you're each responsible for that million dollars. So your total liability is actually two million in the, in the eyes of the bank. So if you're only putting one person on title and they can do a million dollars and the second person can do another million dollars, you could actually go and buy $2 million worth of property or have $2 million worth of debt versus only having one. So you're actually limiting or capping yourself quite substantially. So what, what you need to do is just get the borrowing power or the serviceability calculator for one person. And if that's not enough to buy the property that you want, well, have a look at other areas where you can, and you don't just want to do this willy-nilly and buy somewhere regional. You need to do some extra stuff behind the scenes to work out whether the property you're going to buy is going to actually increase in value or not. But my, I believe that you should be buying or using a maximum of 80% of your borrowing power and one person's borrowing power to buy a property. Now, if you work that out and it only comes in at 200,000, for example, you're not going to be buying too many properties at 200,000. But if that's what the figure is, then maybe have a look at what you can buy for 200,000 or go and get a second job and increase that from 200,000 to 300,000 if that's the market you wanna get into. If that's not the market you wanna live in, have a look at the rental returns in the market you're living in, and I can probably guarantee 9.9 times out of 10 for people that are listening, for you that are listening, the area you live in is going to be a lower yield, a lower return rent 
than what an area is that you could be investing into with using that two or 300,000 in serviceability and borrowing power. So if that's the case, you know, suck it up for a little while, rent in the area that you want to live, and then go and buy investment properties in other areas where you're not living or you, you're not going to live and have those investment properties yield or give you a greater rental return than the rent you're paying. And once you start establishing a property business, you know, you can offset a lot of your rent with pre-tax money anyway. So you're using pre-tax dollars to pay for the majority of your rent and your expenses. Because once you're operating, you know, a property investment company, it doesn't have to be a development company like I run. You can do a property investment company where you're investing in multiple properties and you're now managing them. You're not the rental manager, you're the one managing the rental manager. Now you've obviously got to justify this and you need to talk to your accountant about doing this. And if you're part of my program, I can tell you how to how to do it and how to structure it. And then you've got to instruct your accountant on what, what it is that you want. Um, but doing this, you're, you're having investment properties, not necessarily where you live, that are yielding a higher return. And you're paying rent on somebody else's property that's at a lower return. And you're pay, paying a lot of it or a portion of it with pre-tax dollars. So when you have a think about that and just digest that for a second, when you have a think about that, you've got some massive tax advantages. Uh, you can utilize your borrowing power over and over using this method and you're not just stuck at one property which is your own property so we're all taught to do similar to america you know have the white picket fence the american dream is to own your own property and that's pretty much the australian dream as well so everyone wants to own their own property and most people especially first-time buyers if you're buying your first home they're going to put it in two people's names their partner your couple you've saved the money together or whatever, one party contributes more and you put both of you on title because you both want to you know, contribute equally, whatever that is. Now, put all that aside because there's plenty of people like, oh, what happens if I separate? What happens if I divorce? All of that stuff, right? Whatever. Now, if you separate, if you're a de facto relationship, the parties are going to be going to have half-half anyway or they're entitled to 50% anyway, whether they're on the title or not. So that's irrelevant. Uh, and if you're in different circumstances, then you just got to work out the circumstance that, that you're in and you know how that affects you if you're not on title. But look, if you're not on title, that doesn't mean that you can't have a security sitting in the background, like a caveat security, for example. So look, even just this one little thing, people balk at spending ten dollars or $15,000 like on my programs, but this one little thing will make you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars over your lifetime and people don't want to invest ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars into their own own knowledge to be able to utilize this and repeat it over and over. So you've got to have a look at where are you getting your knowledge sources from and who's telling you to put property in your own name. Generally it's going to be somebody that doesn't have a big property portfolio or hasn't built a property portfolio by recycling the equity or recycling the debt. So unless you're making a heap of money and you're content with, you know, one or two properties you're happy with that then you know it doesn't matter do whatever you want but if you want to build a big portfolio if you want to use that as your retirement fund and you're not making a million dollars a year in income or half a million dollars a year i mean if you are it makes life a whole lot easier but you know for most people you're not making that sort of money you know when when i was in my early 20s i was on a good wicket uh i was on 
$60,000 a year when I finished, but I, re I realized that $60,000 a year does not go far. Um, and you know, shortly after that, I was on six figures in my job, but I also realized that once you, get in, once you start getting paid more, you get taxed a lot more. So I looked at where could I replace my income? Where could I get better tax incentives or utilize my dollars better? But even, you know, if you're on six figures at the moment, if you're on a hundred or 200,000, even if you're on 500,000, you know, it's still a slow boat to China to get wealthy in this country just because of our high rates of tax on that money, unless you're a business owner. But then, you know, what do you do with the money? If you're just pumping it into investments in your own name, you, know, you might do okay by the end of your life, but you could do 10 times better if you got it all right at the start. Literally, you could do 10 times better or more if you set up your structures and did it properly. So don't buy property in your own name the old, or don't buy it in yourself and partner's name. So like I mentioned, just to recap, you need to increase your serviceability. If you alone don't have a high serviceability, so you need to increase it. Go and get a second job. It doesn't have to be forever. Just make it temporary. Increase that serviceability. Go and buy a property that may not be in your neighborhood. So look at a lesser value property if you need to. And then your partner, have them look at a separate property or keep them separate for the moment. So if you are going to max your borrowing power out with you know one person and it's an investment property, well, then you definitely don't need to buy it in your own name. You need to, I believe, look at what other structures you can put it in. And you've, you've only got two options with other structures. Now, people, accountants, try and overcomplicate this. You've only got two options. You've either got a company or you've got a trust or a combination of the two. But you've really either got a company, so you either buy a property investment property in a company or you buy it in a trust and even if you're living in the property itself you can still use it as an investment property uh, sorry if you if you live in the property you can use it as an investment property and it can be held under a, a company name as well so even if you're planning to live there it doesn't matter you can still utilize this so you go and you either buy it in a company or you buy it in a trust you have the accountant set that up it's going to cost you money to set up now this isn't a set it up for nothing and you know get nothing in return it's going to cost you money to set that up but it might be a thousand dollars two thousand dollars and then it's going to cost you money every year to lodge the tax returns or the financial reporting so if you got a good accountant one that doesn't overcharge you know the yearly fee might be a thousand dollars a year so you know just set that money aside and put it as an expense that's what it's going to be that's the cost of doing putting properties in separate entities but the long-term gain in 10 years time You'll be thanking yourself by putting it into a separate entity uh, because you will have built a much bigger property portfolio than you otherwise would have been able to. So when you put it into an entity of some description, what that does is then separate that from you personally. So not, not only does it give you asset protection if you're sued personally, and that's other advice that you need to get, but you've got asset protection in that regard. It doesn't take you out of a romantic relationship or you know a spouse relationship them having you know a portion or 50 percent of it nothing overturns the the family courts in that regard so you've got asset protection with that but then you also can replenish your borrowing power by having in a separate entity now if somebody tells you this isn't true or this doesn't work well then they're lying to you and you need to find somebody that does know what they're doing so you need a mortgage broker on board with this most mortgage brokers, 99% of them don't know how this works. The 1% is the 1% that you need. 
so that the 1% of mortgage brokers understand that when you put a property purchase into a company or a trust and that company or that trust covers its own expenses and how it does that is by renting out the property. So if the property covers all of its own expenses, those that income and those expenses get taken out of that company or that trust. So if you set up ABC Proprietary Limited, ABC owns a property and it owns a property in Brisbane and that property covers, that property's rented out that rent then covers the mortgage repayments, it covers the rates, it covers any maintenance that you do. So if the rent covers all of those things and you don't have to fork in any money personally into that property, you go and get an accountant's letter. The accountant's letter says, company ABC Proprietary Limited covers all of its own expenses and it can pay the debt and blah, 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 whatever else it needs to say. Well, then when the bank goes and assesses you for the next loan, they ask for this accountant's letter. And look, not all banks will do this. Not all banks are equal. They have different policies. So this is why else you need a broker that understands this because they're going to put you into a bank where the bank's going to basically sideline your other debts. They're going to put them to one side because they're in separate entities. And then they're only going to assess you based on this new loan that you're applying for. So if you have a loan for a million dollars on your investment properties and they can be multiple they can be one if they're all covering their own expenses so in other words if the rent covers all of the mortgage repayments and then all of the other outgoings like rates water blah 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 if that happens on the million dollars of debt when you go for a new loan and you might be getting say a half a million dollars on a new loan well those all of those other debts are all pushed to one side and the bank can assess you based on the new debt only if that million dollars of debt is all in your personal name or is all in your personal name and your wife's name, well, then you're both going to be on the hook and the bank's going to add everything together. So they're going to say, well, you got a million dollars in debt on all this stuff and you want a loan for another half a million dollars. Well, now we're going to assess your serviceability, your borrowing power, in other words, at a million and a half. So now all of a sudden the loan that you're getting is only $500,000, but the bank, the financier is going to assess you as if you're borrowing one and a half million and then they add all their criteria onto that. So they add the 3% on top of the interest rate. So they see whether you can afford a 6% interest rate, what you're paying now, plus another 3%. That's normally the buffer. So now you've got to show that you can afford to repay 9% in interest. That's what's happening at the moment. So you've got, to, you've got to be seen to be able to afford 9% in interest. And then not only is it just the interest, now you've got to pay the principal and interest over a 25 or 30 year term. So that's why people have, or you have low borrowing power because we are being assessed at this really high rate, principal and interest. So paying back the amount you borrowed plus the interest over a 25 or 30 year period. And so your borrowing power is diminished. And that's what's been happening. That's why people's borrowing power has, has reduced. And so with that million dollars that I mentioned, if the million dollars is in your personal name and it's not in separate entities, separate structures, well, the bank's going to lump all of that in together. Even if that million dollars you don't even pay for, like the rent covers the million dollars in, in like the interest repayments on the million dollars. So the bank's going to see, we're going to assume 
under their assessment that you then need to cover not only the new half a million dollars that you're getting out, but also the previous $1 million that you've already got if it's in your own name. If it's not in your own name, they sideline it. So when you set it up in separate structures, which is, as I mentioned, either a company or trust, they're the only two options you've got. Whether you set it up in either one of those, the bank, the financier doesn't look at that uh, that debt that they have and they only look at the debt that's in front of them because that other debt is covering itself it's paying for itself through the rental returns so hopefully that makes sense to you there's you know some other things some other tweaks that i teach around that this is a very short lesson around how to do it um, and look don't expect that you've listened to me for the last 15 minutes you're going to go out and do it there's there are some more tricks of the trade. You know, if you are fortunate enough to work, to have worked this out yourself, you know, you're on to a winner. Uh, with that, if you've built up, if you've been able to build up, build up a property portfolio of 10 or 20 properties, hopefully you've worked this out by now. But chances are in that first five or 10 properties, you've probably worked it out the hard way. I mean, we all work it out the hard way um, in the beginning. So if this one thing can fast track what you're doing by five years or 10 years. That's going to save you a whole lot of time. And once you start to get beyond like 10 or 20 properties, you really start to get a, when the properties grow in value, you really start to get a massive growth on your entire property portfolio, which means once you're growing, once you're building equity on the whole portfolio, and it's also paying for itself, then you're able to accelerate even faster. You're able to recycle that equity into new properties and then basically go even faster. So you get, you really start to get exponential growth once you start to get above 10 or 20 properties, depending on the value of the properties and the equity gain and all that stuff. But you, you really start to get that exponential growth. So growth just goes like off the charts. And that's why if you if you've heard of people that own 50 60 properties and beyond they're getting you know you're getting growth on all of that entire portfolio so you're able to get that growth and basically recycle the equity and once you start getting you know to that level if they're properties that are of higher value and I'm not going to go into details on this on this episode but once you start getting into those higher value properties so if you do have you know a 50 million dollar property portfolio for example there's different options available to you with financing you're not into generally the single loan side of things and then you start getting into the commercial financing and you know different rates different rules and you can lump properties together if you've got good cash flow coming out of that property portfolio you know you can have different facilities in place to buffer you know, if a tenant leaves, you, you have a big facility, you know, an overdraw facility in place, or you have an offset account in, in place. So things like that. So don't, you know, don't think of, you know, oh, if I get to 10 properties, I'm going to have all of this debt. Um, yes, you will have all of that debt, but you'll also have a lot of equity and you'll also have buffers in place where, you know, if you have a property sitting vacant for a period of time, you've got a buffer, a cash buffer that can pay the interest on that if, if it is vacant. So, you know, all of that comes over time as you start to build the portfolio. Um, but the main aim of the game is to get the capital growth happening for you and on your side. And it's money ultimately while you sleep. The more properties you have, the more properties grow in value, providing they're in good areas, of course. 
the more properties grow in value and they're adding to your net worth and then also the money that's available to you. And that's really how you build up a retirement fund that's going to be better than probably your super fund, which the government keeps dipping into or as managed super fund companies keep losing money on when the share market goes down. You know, this is going to be a better retirement fund for you that you're in control of building yourself versus leaving it up to some other so-called expert or just putting your money away and it getting charged fees on it every single year and not seeing a return. So once you start to get the power back and start to you know, implement some of these strategies like not buying a house in your own name, buying investment properties, renting where you want to live instead of buying because that's better financially for you and it's going to be better in the long term. Once you, once you start getting on that wavelength, you can see the opportunities and how this can really accelerate and how other people have been able to build up 10 or 20 properties in their portfolio and they've done it in a relatively short period of time. So look, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to go call up your accountant broker tomorrow and they're going to have this thing all sorted out. Um, especially if you're starting in your first property, you're going to need to work out a bit of a strategy. You use your professionals, you instruct them correctly. There's another big key and you need to get the right professionals who understand that you are building a property portfolio and the structures that you need in place. And you need to be the one directing them, showing them. Just because you know about this and somebody said it to you in a podcast doesn't mean you're going to go out and do it from day one. It's going to take you trial and error, lots of different things to do it. Or you do my full course where there's hours and hours of content and it can literally fast track you onto that path. And then also, in addition to that, I do have referrals to my consultants, including accountant, finance broker, who know about this strategy and implement it every day of the week for myself and my other clients. So with that, enjoy, have fun, and good luck on your property investment journey.